Hi everyone, it's Joaki Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today I have a special guest on the show. Tomi Kaukinen is a fellow Finnish entrepreneur. He's a public speaker and the founder of License to Fail. After countless years of startup life, founding several companies, Tommy hit the wall hard and burned out. Now, through License to Fail, he speaks and writes publicly about entrepreneur life, motivation, and coping with the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. In this episode, we talk about Tommy's experiences with startups and burnout, and how entrepreneurs can avoid burnout and lead this kind of healthy life. Burnout should be on every entrepreneur's mind. What should you do about it? How to make changes before things escalate, as they often do. So it's a complicated topic, but I hope you'll get a lot out of this discussion. But before we go to the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Favro, a new tool for collaborative planning that more and more game studios are starting to use. It was created by game industry veterans to help studios doing frequent live drops of features and content to get development, marketing, and other teams in sync. Check it out. There's a free trial at favro.com. And if you use the promo code ELITEGAMEDEVFABRO, you're going to get a 25% discount on your purchase. That's favro.com. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. At Pollen VC, we're committed to helping game developers improve their financial literacy. That's why we've launched CFO Resources, a new section of our website that hosts a free suite of calculators and financial planning tools to help you plan your business and grow faster. Our financial forecaster tool helps you project cash flows and visualize your ROAS and LTV based on metrics you provide. And if you're a hyper-casual developer, you need to check our hyper-casual velocity calculator. Head over to pollen.vc and click CFO resources to get started. All right, we're recording. Hi, Tommy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. That's yeah, great. Great to have you. Like, I think one of the topics that I don't cover enough, which I sort of like from my heart feel that I should, is how hard it is being an entrepreneur, how hard it is to sort of like be, you know, going on that journey and dealing with life and work and everything. So I'm, I'm really happy to 
to have this discussion with you since you've been, I, I really admire the content you put out. Um, so re- really great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It was um, inadvertently I ended up here, but I think we're going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. I, uh, I'm going to throw in the first question. Can you, can you talk about your origin story of becoming an entrepreneur? Was it this kind of like childhood thing that you grew up uh, around entrepreneurs affecting your career of becoming an entrepreneur? No, actually, no. I'm, uh, I'm originally from Sweden and uh, my parents were immigrants from Finland. They moved in the 70s and uh, I was raised in this suburb to Stockholm kind of uh, like semi-ghetto-ish uh, because some of the areas around Stockholm became very, uh, well, well, Swedish immigration policy, they sent basically people out in the suburbs. And then, you know, um, I, I grew up there. So so the area where I grew up was basically Finnish, Finnish immigrants. Uh, and then, um, you know, what do you call it? Like the Syrian and, and these kind of immigrants. So it was kind of a mix of of the immigrants that came to Sweden at that point in time. And uh, my parents were they basically, you know, my father was a janitor uh, and my mother was working in offices and cleaner. So, you know, they did uh, the stuff that nobody wanted to do in Sweden at that point in time. So I'm from a working family. Um, and I actually didn't, didn't even understand anything about entrepreneurship for, for a very long time. And um, once you grow up in the suburbs, like surrounded by, well, well basically zero people from academia or, or anywhere else in society, just like construction workers and stuff, uh, I never even imagined that I would even go to university uh, because no one in my family had ever done it. So, so entrepreneurship was very, very distant or not even on the map, so to speak. So I, I joined you know, the traditional path of life by getting into construction. Uh, so I didn't even attend what is called the gymnasium, which is the like, I think it's called the upper secondary or like when yeah, you're like high school. Yeah. So yeah, from 16 to 18, basically. And I skipped that because I, I wanted to get into construction or actually I didn't want to, but I had no choice uh, uh, because I don't know. I didn't felt, felt like going to school and I ended up there. Um, and I, I've always actually been quite good at school until the seventh grade. Uh, and I was always best in class and I really liked studying. But then when I became a teen, uh, you know, the classic cliche story, I started smoking and and, and driving with, you know, <laughs> motorbikes and all that stuff and started listening to heavy metal. I listened to like Metallica, Black Album came out in 91. And I thought that was like the revolutionary music. And I listened to Nirvana, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out and... I just went all in heavy metal and just dropped out of school, basically. So my grades just dropped from, from very high, high average to basically like super low. Uh, and, and when I was in construction, I, I actually didn't like it at all. I, I hated it. I, 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 uh, I felt like I am actually smarter than these guys here. But, uh, but since I was there, I wasn't smarter than them. So it was, uh, it was just in my head, I thought. You know? So I did that for two years. Um, and I just really disliked it. So I wanted to get out, but if you don't have the high school, you know, diploma, you're not going to get any job in the Northern societies, you know, not even a cafe, you know, they require even like the high school diploma. So, uh, it's very high skill countries we live in. Um, so I went back, I got like what would be called a promotion 
So I started working in the same company as kind of a cleaner in the Stockholm metro system. So we walk with these sticks and 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 clean the tunnels because the, the the papers were a fire hazard. So we walked there, and I still was thinking like I am going to regret if I stay here. And um, then I heard uh, this kind of radio show with two Swedish celebrities, Filip and Fredrik, and they talked about when they worked in a kind of a elderly care when they were young and in the night they heard these screams from these elderly people and they asked their boss like well, why are they screaming here so what's the deal here and the boss said you know it's, it's it's anxiety so these people are at basically the end of their lives and and it's regrets that come out like things that they didn't do and when i heard that on the radio i was like oh my god like i've never uh want to be in a, like an uh, a home like that and scream because I regret stuff. So uh, very cliche. Once again, I went to my boss and I said, I can't go on, you know? And, uh, and at that point in time, I was, I think I was 19 or 18, 18, 19. Uh, I decided to get back to school. And, and the motivation that is built up during these three years was uh, incredible. So like, I, I just wanted to just absorb all information that was possible. So I, I uh, started looking at which schools I would like to attend to. Um, because in Sweden, when you apply for university, they don't have these exams as they do in Finland, but rather you have to go with your high school grades. So I started looking at different schools. I checked the engineering stuff in, in Kotehua, the Royal Institute of Technology, Stockholm. I, I checked like becoming a doctor and all these stuff because I just wanted to get away. And, and then I found Stockholm School of Economics, which I which had, you know, the, the, the thing that got me wasn't that I was interested in economics per se, but rather, you know, in the catalog from the school, they said that they had the highest the highest percentage of people getting hired before graduation. So I thought, well, 97% will get a job. So I applied, I, I thought that I would go there, but in order to get in there, you need to have a, like a straight A's. You can't have like a B or A minus. You had just straight A's because it was the most sought after school in Sweden. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I need to get straight A's. And I went back to, to high school and, um, you know, just studied my brains out. And I decided to do it the three year in, in two years so I just studied from day and night for two years and I graduated with straight A's and I got into Stockholm School of Economics. And once I got in, I started thinking like, wait a second, I can actually do almost anything with my own like hard work. So I kind of proved to myself that I can actually, you know, accomplish things. And that mode then kind of stuck, which became, which we will see in the end, quite detrimental to, to, to me so it turned against me in some point, but yeah, then I did, you know, the four years I graduated with a finance major and I did all the stuff that people wanted to do. You know, people wanted to work in Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank or these kind of investment banks. Uh, that was the dream at that point in time. So I applied for funds, like uh, different funds in London. And, and, and I got a job then in Stockholm at a real estate investment fund. And I put on a suit and became, you know, this investment manager. <laughs> I did it for for six years, but um, I then, you know, during the, those six years, I, I actually had my first or my second existential crisis because I noticed that, you know, when you start making money and all that stuff, the, the work in itself was was really boring. It was really boring. It was just like Excel and 
and, and just money, money, money. Mm-hmm. There was no, it sounds also like very, very cliche, but it was very no substance. There was no mission. There was no purpose. There was nothing. It's just make money. Um, and I felt, you know, even if, if I started making money about my apartment and all that stuff, I was like, oh, I can't do this. You know, and I, I started thinking about this regret stuff that was stuck in the back of my head. Um, and then in, after six years, I just went to my boss and said, you know, I'm out of here. And um, then I started my first startup. So, so the road to entrepreneurship was kind of very unexpected for me. Uh, and, and I had to learn to become an entrepreneur, if you would say. Yeah, I guess that, like thinking about that, that moment where you felt the meaning lacking in your work, because like, yeah, f- financials never bring sort of like that ultimate motivation. It needs to come from, from yourself, from, from your gut. But like, I, I wanted to kind of ask you about success as a definition. Yeah. Well, how do you how do you think like your definition of success has changed when you sort of like got into the school of economics from going to your first work, getting like that 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 sort of like taste of actually you can do anything with hard work, like you said, like your relationship with success, how did it evolve in those early days? That's a very good question, and and it's 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 that's actually I think for almost almost all people. Uh, unless you're brain dead, you know, the definition of success kind of changes in life. When you're a kid, you might have, you know, I might have thought that James Hetfield, you know, in Metallica was kind of the the most successful person in the world. And I think as a kid, most of the people you admire, doesn't it doesn't have to do with the money. That's a funny mm-hmm. thing, though, because we tend to like like scientists and you know, these kind of people, we, we don't think about the money when we're kids. That's pretty funny. We, we think about rock stars and, and these kind of people. Okay, money is a part of it, but it's still more like the, the lifestyle maybe we're looking for a bit. Then it evolved into money and it evolved into, you know, this kind of weird notion that, you know, the movie American Psycho and, you know, <laughs> Wall Street were, 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 were oh, no. kind of uh, was like, it was funny when, when I remember in, uh, in Stockholm School of Economics, you know, everyone had actually, of course, seen Wall Street and, and American Psycho. So I remember when you were sitting in the computer rooms, because in that point in time, there were no laptops. So everybody had these, we had these computer rooms. And if somebody were sitting in front of their computer and they were dropping a line from American Psycho, then, you know, the next person would fill in the next one. And <laughs> everybody just knew like uh, by heart, you know, all the, all, all the quotes. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so so uh, during that time, the environment really pushed into this uh, business success narrative. So I forgot all about the artsy stuff and, and aesthetics, but rather just, you know, it was cool being in um, Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan and, and th- these companies. And that was the ultimate dream, you know. Um, so that then changed. I, when I started working with, I was like, this sounds really harsh. But when I met a lot of people in, 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 the, in, the, in the industry, I always thought when I was sitting in a lunch and somebody was discussing some interest rate curves or, you know, some yields on real estate or, you know, and I was like, do this person really like this? Like, is, 
are they really honestly interested in this or are they just faking it? And I, and it, I, I still don't know because sometimes mm. I go and eat with people from the industry and they talk about it and I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't want to ask them, but sometimes I feel like it, 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 it's a horrible thing if, you, if this is actually like what you are interested in because, yeah. ugh, you know, I don't want to diss anyone, but I feel it's really weird if you can really enjoy looking at like interest rate curves or share prices or, you know, this is like, for me, it's incredibly boring. Uh, and I, I was also shocked that people read, you know, I'm going to sound like an idiot here, but, but, I, uh, but I also didn't understand people who woke up in the morning and read these kind of financial times. You know, I tried, but I was like, that was the worst anesthesia, you know, ever. You know, I started reading and I almost fell asleep immediately. So the, the, the finance industry was for me, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, um, boring per se because when it's easy to confuse uh being skilled at something and liking it sometimes mm. you only like something because you're good at it but you, you you don't perhaps you don't even reflect on it but there is a big difference in doing something because you're good at it and doing something because you want to do it and they get mixed up sometimes and i felt that my interest in finance was enhanced by because I I was fairly good at it, I, you know, and I could do very huge data models on 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 you know assets and stuff. But now, in hindsight, I realized that you know maybe that was just because I I, I knew how to do it. Uh, so, <clears throat> but but the, the the reason the perception changed a bit on success was that I maybe I started thinking like, well, if this is the price I have to pay like being semi-bored, it can't be success. Mm. This can't be success. Like, so it started to kind of crumble a bit, I would say. Uh, and, and then finally, when I quit, when I get into the startup life, my definition of success changed once again. Uh, now the successful people were the startup entrepreneurs. <laughs> so it yeah. shifted. Uh, now they, it, were, it was people like Steve Jobs, you know, uh, I actually admired Joni Ive quite a lot, you know. Um, uh, I admired, you know, the Angry Birds guys because what they did. Um, so it just shifted. And now I thought, you know, that the finance people and these bankers were, I don't thought they were, I don't think they were successful because it, the part was missing there, the, the passion, because most of them weren't passionate. But then when you go to the startup world, you saw actually this combination of becoming rich through passion, so it was a different story. So I was like, well, okay, maybe that's possible. And then, yeah. you know, that shifted once again. Mm. And now it's totally different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about your, your startup experience. Um, you went through all of these different stages of startup life, starting the company, raising venture capital money. Yeah. Uh, you're sort of like this founder career towards that success took off. Uh, <laughs> can you sort of like talk about that journey? And sort of yeah. like where it led you eventually. Yeah. So the first startup uh, was was just uh, uh, you know a total failure. And and the reason it was a failure now I would say was uh, not understanding uh, consumer products uh, and and not understanding well the business in itself I would say. Um, so the first startup was this kind of digital calendar and uh, just total 
misunderstanding of of what creating a, a product means. Like, first of all, it was a very technological product, but we didn't even have a tech in-house. That was like a huge mistake uh, because every time we needed to fix something, we needed to outsource it and make a new, as so it was just a mess. And we underestimate the difficulties of consumer products. And, and at still today, when I talk to startups, I say like, you, you do not understand how difficult consumer products are. You know, they are the most difficult thing in the planet. And people constantly overestimate their estimates of how many users they'll get. And I'm like, oof, you got to put that like 95% down. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I, I kind of lost uh, lots, lots of my savings on that experiment. Uh, but I had a lot of fun in the first startup. So I was like, this was fun, but I lost money, but I learned so much about this thing. So the learning curve, I think in the startup world for the first one or two years is extremely high for most people because a totally new world opens up. Um, I never heard about cap tables or, you know, these kind of stuff before. Um, and then you start understanding the investor business, the valuations, and and you hear these words MRR, and you, <laughs> you hear this product stuff and analytics, you know. And and for me, it was the shock was even bigger because I came from a real estate fund. Our 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 assets were physical, so I could actually go and you know tap on the building if I wanted to and look at it. And then all of a sudden, we were dealing with code, which is like. Nobody knows. It's in the cloud, or you know, it's in a platform somewhere, and and it's very intangible. And and one one little crack somewhere can bring down the house. If I use the real estate analogy, you know, uh, so for me that was all part of the reason why it failed too, because I did not understand the complexity. Um, but then the years went on and founded the next startup. It became it was kind of a calendar for parents that could uh, see when their kids were playing games. Once again, uh, learned a lot, um, did the, some, some nice deals, but never, you know, exit or anything like that. Uh, we had really hard times monetizing. It was also a consumer product. And then that was the point where I kind of learned that monetization is extremely hard for consumer products, especially in the apps, when you do this free to play, as you know, and, and these kind of stuff, uh, the conversions are usually super low. Um, and, and also I learned... Um, because in Finland, when we did the product, basically what we did was we created a front end and then we contacted all the Finnish sports associations, which had uh, the data for, you know, the games. So we just called them and had meetings and said, look, provide us with the, with this data and you'll get a share of, you know, the revenues from the users. And everybody just gave it to us. And it was like, okay. And all of a sudden we had like all events for all Finnish sports in one place. Um, and I was like, well, that was fairly easy. And then I, I went to Sweden and I went to meet their kind of sports associations. And, you know, Sweden is just double the size, but they have a totally different view on markets and stuff. So in Sweden, the organizations were like, why would we give you this? Like, it's more valuable to us. So why would you give it to you? I was like, well, because you get rev share. And they're like, ah, forget it, son. <laughs> it's like, it like, okay, then uh, back to Finland. And, and that's where I understood that sometimes being in Finland can actually um, be a bit dece de like deceiving 
because Finland is such a small market and it's so easy to meet with people. It's so easy kind of a way to, to operate here. I would say you can, within like a month, you would probably be able to meet almost anyone in the whole country, uh, even the top CEOs fairly easily. Yeah. So it gives you a very bad picture of how the big world operates. Mm. Uh, so that's when I understood that, you know, if something works in Finland, that does not necessarily mean it's going to work somewhere else and understood the value of understanding local cultures and, and, and those kind of things. So it's like every startup you did had some different takeaways, basically. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of those reasons why like repeat entrepreneurs uh, like are really good at that, <laughs> like, you know, doing stuff. It's just that it's it's very hard to sort of like teach entrepreneurship for, for anybody that they would understand it immediately. But one way of course, is like to have like serious, like mentorship going on and you sort of like being also curious about all these issues and not sort of like focus too much on like prematurely starting to, to you know, scale a company and things like that, because you, you want to treat it sort of like small steps uh, and yeah. like, gonna take years so. yeah definitely uh it's it's like uh sometimes i mean i think it's extremely rare that first timers succeed i think it's extremely rare um yeah. so for me you know um i i use the analogy now that you know people say well you know you lost some money on your startups and stuff i say like well you know it depends on how you view it because if, if let's say if i lost i don't remember how much i lost but like ten, some tens of thousands of euros just down the drain but for me it was like okay i i see this as kind of a tuition fee like i i went to the school of entrepreneurship and i paid my tuition and i got a huge loads of experience that other people didn't get so yeah. i paid for my education you know <laughs> yeah and and so and, and that's the way to frame it, I think, um, because now I have knowledge that is like fairly unique. There, there, there aren't that many startup people in Finland. I'm trying to tell people that uh, when you live in the bubble, you think that everybody understands it. You think everybody knows about entrepreneurship, especially startup entrepreneurship. And then when you step outside, you understand that the scene is, is fairly small and it's a, it's a fringe movement. You know, I think you could fit like all the founders in Finland at the moment into, you know, I don't know, uh, a small gig venue. Like what could it be? Like a couple of thousand people tops. Yeah. Yeah. And that like all that muscle memory that develops through making those decisions. Um, it is sort of like, you need to go through that uh, yeah. trial sort of like, but it, it is so good because you can actually <laughs> utilize it in so many ways in the future. It's just, I, I think, what it culminates to is making decisions and learning. Like those are the two things, really. Yes, it's kind of it like is. A, a repeat loop, sort of like making decision, learning from the outcome, and using that as the input for you know the next decision. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. And a key point there, you, you said very well. You know, the decision making is extremely important. Um, it's like you have to make a lot of decisions based on extremely limited information. And, and usually in the startups, those those decisions might have consequences for your wallet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 exactly. <laughs> so, so you learn to kind of deal with uh, very extreme uncertainty, which is fantastic uh, experience to have um, because you just like, okay, let's do this. 
let's do this. And, and, and I try to tell people like, especially you notice this, this kind of difference in mindset when you as a startup start working or do some pilot with some, some big organization. And it's funny because a lot of big organizations always brag about how, you know, fast they are and all this. And, and, and then you start working with them and you're like, whoa, like we have a very, very different view on what is considered fast, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, the fast usually means that you don't stop to to look what happened and learn, but you're already, you know, trying the next thing, sort of like in with blindfolds on. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and I try I try to use an example when when people ask like what what does fast mean? I was like, well, you know, fast can mean that you go home on Friday. Um, and then you come to the office in the morning on Monday and said, okay, let's uh, scrap this product and build a new one. And like, mm. and, and that's, that's the kind of the turn that you can make. So, and, and that's when people realize that, okay, we're talking quite big shifts, especially if you're early stage startup, quite big shifts quite rapidly. Um, so, yeah. 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 But like your career led you to actually do something different that you're doing nowadays. Can you talk about like where that sort of like stems your, your, uh, current project, the uh, license to fail. Yeah. So uh, in 2017, uh, I came home, um, you know, we were working uh, quite a lot in Spanish market uh, with, with that startup. And, and um, I've been doing it then for almost yeah five years already. Uh, and, and without no, with not like no exits or anything like that, but just like moderate success, some nice clients and, you know, starting to really kind of just understand like the big picture. We had some VC money and angel money and stuff. And I, I, um, I come home from a bike ride in the morning and, and just like all of a sudden my body just starts behaving in a way that I've, I've never, ever felt before. Uh, I, I, I had this horrible pain in my stomach and this like incapacitating pain in my back. Uh, I started feeling like really, really, um, um, what do we say? Like it felt that everything just lost its meaning and it was a horrible feeling. And I, I started wondering immediately, like what is happening to me? Uh, and I got really scared. So I went to the doctors the next day and asked like, what's wrong with me? And they said like nothing. And, and that feeling just kept going. And I, I, I ran to the doctors again and I did, you know, blood samples, urine samples, uh, you know, two ultrasounds, and everybody was like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And, and then I was like, oh my God, I, I, how can nothing be wrong with me? I feel like really, really bad. And, and most of these symptoms were physical pain. So my body just hurt. And I thought that there was something wrong with me physically. Uh, so that's why I did all these, these, these kind of uh, physical tests, like ultrasound to see if there's something wrong in my back or your stomach and stuff. But it was kind of this anxiety pain which I didn't understand back then. I didn't understand that, you know, pain can be like non-lethal. It can be mental pain, which can be even worse than, than like breaking your leg probably. And, uh, and then, you know, it, it went back and forth a couple of times. It disappeared for a couple of weeks. And I was like, what the hell was that? Mm. Uh, and, and then I went back and it came back. And the third time it came back was two months after uh, in, in July. And once it settled back then, uh, it never like 
it never disappeared. It just clung on to me. And I started feeling really, really bad. Uh, but the problem at that point in time was that it was just raised a new financing round. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I feel really bad, but I have a financing round just came in. It's like, and, and you become extremely confused because I didn't know how to deal with it. Because um, I, I thought that, well, I can't say that I'm out because that would be kind of being betraying, you know, people. And you end up in this really complex moral dilemma, uh, like what to do. So I decided to try to go on holiday uh, because I wasn't sure really what was wrong with me still. I was just saying, I feel like shit, to be honest. So I went on a holiday and that holiday was made me even more confused because when I went to holiday with my girlfriend, the symptoms that I had like exploded. Um, so when, when, when I was lying in, in the beach in Portugal, I just wanted to just scream on the top of my lungs. And um, it was kind of probably the worst holiday I've ever been to. So when I came back, I thought that, well, you know, if these symptoms arrive when I am on holiday, maybe it's not work-related, you know, maybe it's something else. Um, so it was extremely confusing. But then in, in the later that year, after struggling even more, I could, you know, work as usual fairly, but I would, I just, it's like analogy would be like, you can work if you're, if you have a broken leg, but it sucks, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can work. And this is something people don't understand mostly when I tell, tell them that, look, you can, you can feel really bad and you can still pull it off. Uh, like you can be even depressed and work like, and, and you can be burnt out and you can work. It's just that it feels horrible but 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 people have this conception that being burnt out or depressed means that you lie in your bed and you're you know you can't do anything but that's not true you can operate fairly well you know and people don't even notice it uh, so i went to psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said like look all these pains you have they are psychosomatic they are in your head you are burnt out my friend and and you're depressed uh and i said okay and what can I do about this? And he said, you know, here's some pills, you know, antidepressants and you should take them. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I can't do that. You know, so, so I never, I never fetched them from the pharmacist and I it just kept going with my work and I did it for five more months and, and I tried everything else like meditation, um, all this stuff, nothing helped. So eventually I just sat down and decided to pick up those medications. And I, I started eating the antidepressants. At the same time, the company was not doing fairly well. We had some, some okay deals, but we weren't even cash flow positive at that point. So we were just running out of money all the time. And um, so after like one month of eating antidepressants, I didn't feel anything because it takes usually six to eight weeks before they get into effect. And then I was like, well, this company is not going to survive probably. So uh, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't go for another round of insane insanity, you know, <laughs> when fundraising. So I just announced that, you know, I, I got to get out. And then I went to the psychiatrist and got, got uh, into a sick leave. And then I just left everything and the company went belly up shortly after. Um, so, and then I was sitting in my balcony, totally like confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, what? Would have you done differently if you go back to to the point where you know you embark on this like venture backed startup career, which I think is big difference 
and this is at least personally for me like i feel there's a difference if you if you're doing a venture backed startup versus a like a non venture backed startup what do yeah. you think uh yes it becomes more serious business uh when it's when it's venture backed definitely um but i think uh, we had early stage vc so it it i don't think the shift was that significant yet um it would have been different if it would have been like um five million round or something like that series a but since it was like an initial early stage investment so i didn't notice that big of a difference uh, uh so yeah but i agree that it, it it it's a different story when when um vcs entered the game in a, in the later stage at least but we had fairly good freedom to operate in, in that sense but um you know but it was yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know yeah because there's like you know all that sort of like i have my own theories and i can't really prove like what i could have done differently because i also suffered a really bad burnout in 2019 when i was leaving next games that was the main reason why i had to leave um, and i always felt that like it was the expectation of me and what entrepreneurship looks like and not meeting those expectations and sort of realizing that it's it's really sort of like that okay i can't meet these expectations i don't have you know anything to go for so i need to push and push to meet the expectations sort of yeah. that's that's where it, like sort of for me comes from i agree i agree totally um i would even expand that on um differentiating between like internal and external demands because they're they're both vicious uh, especially if you're an entrepreneur you're i would say most entrepreneurs are extremely self-critical uh they're extremely kind of disappointed in themselves and they put they put themselves to a higher standard than they would do anyone else um and and and, and you know that internal pressure is is just killing you inside uh and then on top of that you have the external pressure that you want to show that you know i am made of iron and you know i i can do this and when you put those together it's like one plus one is three it's even more devastating to your health um so and 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 what i'm what i'm now always saying that you know when when people celebrate these huge you know series a rounds or making these rounds everybody's always like yeah that's an amazing achievement but then I'm like, wait, you have to understand that even if the founder is smiling here, he's probably fucking terrified, uh, mm-hmm. like inside, uh, because now it's like somebody put a chain on him or her uh, and, and, and just and, and she's probably, you know, panicking inside like, shit, I have these huge expectations on me. So I'm trying to kind of give a different perspective on this celebration, this celebratory attitude towards the rounds and trying to say like, look, this isn't all that clear. Uh, like like these, these founders are now basically committed to giving huge returns. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think like, why do we keep getting into these situations as founders where we burn out? I think you can burn out for many, many different reasons. Uh, I think uh, even even as even if even even unemployed people become burnt out because there is a lack of you know connection and lack of purpose and you can become depressed of just not feeling you're a part of something bigger. But but as an entrepreneur, the burnouts I think usually come from just this this constant dissatisfaction uh, and and and. <sighs> 
I think the causality arrows, uh, I think you could say the people who end up doing entrepreneurship uh, stuff are usually uh, like extreme by nature. And, and if they wouldn't be doing entrepreneurship, they would do something else that was extreme. Um, if they would work in a corporation, they would probably be the most driven person on that office, in that office. And it's just a matter of time before they burn out. Uh, so I'm a little bit of fat, fatalist, you know, fatalist on that issue. So I think that mm. certain people are just going to burn out, like whatever happens, you know, they just yeah. going to push themselves and break themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you, you put the society <laughs> gives this area where people can thrive as individuals and those certain people that end up in that that sort of like career path those are the same people that burn out anyways like yeah yeah i think so i think so and then when you are in this like entrepreneurship uh environment which is like it's like a it's like a ferrari you know on on jet fuel uh and and uh you need to have the curves at one o'clock you know peaking all the time and your growth needs to be double digit and you know it's just like jesus christ there is no limit to this growth stuff and uh and and you know a financing round is is not even it's not a it's just a gas station to fill up your engines to be able to drive even faster so you know <laughs> it's like being promoted and asked to do even more work so yeah. it, it's like and 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 this is what I'm also telling people. Like, first of all, I say when people say, I want to become entrepreneur, I want to start a company. I said like, okay, well, prepare to commit for five to eight years then because, or five to 10 years, because that's what it's going to take for you to build a big company. So, so just so you know, and, and people are what? It's like, yeah, you're 25 now. You're going to be at least 35 when you're going to start seeing some serious stuff happening. And then you can look at different companies and see what happens. It takes a lot of time. And people come like, whoa, what is this? Is it like that long? It's like, yeah, you're not going to make an exit in three years. Like, forget about it. You're going to have yeah. maybe your first market penetrated in three years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and also, I'm trying to tell them that what might feel like a jump to freedom is going to turn against you at some point. So what, what you consider being in the freedom of entrepreneurship is going to be the chains of being at the investor's mercy. You know, uh, uh, and 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 this freedom was changed totally. So instead of giving you that liberation, it's gonna imprison you. I mean, I, this sounds really harsh, but like as a founder with the mindset of pleasing others and also having these demands on yourself, this is exactly the the anatomy of the, the, your life cycle in your company. You know, uh, all these money they have strings attached to them, and and and. They will call you in the evenings and, and ask you to explain, you know, the growth curves. And, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, I have these, a lot of these people to please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Uh, this sounds yeah, horrible. This is... <laughs> yeah. But it's true. It is true. There's no freedom in startup. No, no way. Well, I, I, I also mentioned that, you know, the only uh, possibility to feeling the freedom is having a cash generating company. Uh, and, and that is the key to if you if you want to talk about freedom, that is make cash because you know the first big 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 thing in a company is getting break even because that changes the dynamics of the investment uh, ne- negotiations like immediately because you are not forced to take in external money when you start making money. So it gives you a lot of freedom to even choose like who you want to be part of your company. Um, and, 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 and so I, I'm, 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 I'm hoping a bit for 
a regression, maybe you could say, to companies trying to focus on making money instead of constantly thinking about raising funds. It seems like like back in the days, everybody was trying to build profitable companies uh, that made money. And, and now it seems like the default mindset is, I want to get an investment from this company. It's like, well, okay. What if you started to create a company that actually makes revenue first? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an area where you want then to have sort of alignment with everybody who's on board. That like, what is what is a, a place where we want to go first? And then we can reassess the mission. Like, do we you know, get to that break even with, let's say, 50 people in, in our company and we're profitable. And then then it starts again. <laughs> like, you want to go a bit bigger. <laughs> like, do you want to do that is a, is a question as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I don't admire that many business people uh, anymore. Um, but I have some, maybe is this some, some weird kind of uh, uh, age thing, but... I've always kind of liked the um, the people who built these companies over decades uh, and and just grew them like let's say IKEA, yeah. like a fantastic like story, uh, and and you have these old companies that just slowly just built up. They did the work and like the pre digital company building. There's something admirable about that. I think. Yeah, sort of like that five percent growth a year. Kind of <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden you're huge. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about meditation a bit. Like, why do you think it's good to sort of like get into meditation? Like, what are your sort of personal experiences there? I'm gonna start with a quote by Alan Watts, uh, and and uh, related to this. And uh, Alan Watts. Uh, is a fantastic uh, was a fantastic writer on Zen Buddhism and, and you know Zen and Buddhism in general. And uh, his wonderful book called The Wisdom of Insecurity. He has this line that I, I never forgot since I read it. It was like, "Consciousness seems to be nature's ingenious mode of self-torture," and 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 that is extremely accurate description <laughs> of our consciousness. Uh, we are really suffering a lot from our thoughts. And 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 um, we constantly build up scenarios from the past or the future, which make us suffer. And 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 I think I think most people who find meditation wish to seek relief from that train of like really disastrous thinking. Uh, and and that's why I think a lot of people who are high achievers and entrepreneurs actually do meditate because they can't stand having this constant noise in their head so when they wake up in the morning they like their their brain is like an autobahn uh, like with with hundred thousand you know ferraris driving like um, so they want to get that break uh from that chaos inside their heads uh so so and this is why meditation is extremely important to me too and why it's extremely hard to 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 train yourself to even have that couple of seconds of you know serenity because you know uh, the thoughts in my head are just like, well, oh, it's just chaos. And and the the everybody knows that once you sit down and you even do like like five minute, ten minute meditation, the little relief you even get, it's like, oh my god, it's majestic. Yeah, <laughs> so. It is. It is exactly that's that's the feeling that I as well have like for for meditation. It is creating clarity and focus and like to, like you know you have a volume button. Or, or a knob that you're turning and it, you turn it to zero. <laughs> like that's what meditation for me is. 
It is. It is. It's it's a wonderful practice, and uh, uh, it, for people, you know, I I've always been very uh, like I I loved science when I was a kid. You know, I read a lot of popular science, and I I really believe in the scientific method and rationality and all this kind of stuff. Really like Cartesian in 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 a way, but then I still notice that when I say like, well, Zen Buddhism and, and meditation and, and this kind of stuff is extremely, extremely interesting and, and uh, to a lessening degree, but still some people think like, what are you a hippie? Uh, and it's like, well, actually, no, like this is scientific stuff nowadays. We've validated these things. So, you know, it's not just hippie stuff. This is like, this works. Like you can put buttons on my body and you can scan the heads of Buddhist monks and you will see totally different brain matters and stuff. So, so, um, so I'm glad that now we can actually talk about this without being labeled, you know, as a, <laughs> as a hippie. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like meditation's opposite is using your mobile phone and going through your apps. Yes. When you, when you wake up in the morning, first thing, check email, check Facebook, check news. That's the opposite of meditation. Yes, that is exactly true, uh, which is why I don't have my uh, mobile in my bedroom anymore. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't like supercharge my brain when I wake up. So, yeah. so I take it easy in the morning. Yeah. I don't know if, if do, you, uh, do you know Cal Newport who writes yes. deep, oh, I love life, him. deep work? Yeah. Because I think that's that's sort of like the next thing from meditation to, to yes. sort of like tone down other stuff. Can you talk about like your your sort of like like how do you define what he does? Well, uh, I've I've worked with the Pomodoro technique for uh, for some years, uh, even before I, I burnt out. But it was never really kind of it was just now and then here and there and etc. But uh, after really getting into Newport's deep work stuff. Um, I, I, I actually tried to trying to strive for the deep life, which he talks about. Um, and, and nowadays uh, I engage in deep work on a daily basis and it's a very wonderful state to be in. It's, it, it's actually usually not even fairly, it's not even nice to be honest. Um, it's, it's quite the struggle uh, because we're so used to having these constant interruptions and stuff. So Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I try to do like two or three hours of deep work. Um, and, and it, as I said, it's really hard as Newport's also said, he says it pushes your cognitive abilities to their, to their breaking point because mm-hmm. concentrating is hard. Uh, but, but I buy his like hypothesis that the people who engage in deep work are the ones who are going to win because they will able to learn complex things. They will be able to create output uh, that another uh, a distracted person would not be able to do in the same like amount of time. So, so I wake up, I do two, three hours and I struggle. I'm like, oh, I want to check my phone. I'm like, oh, I want to get out of this, 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 this suffering because a concentration is suffering. And, and that's like very clear. And, and the reason why we want to get out of the situation of concentration is because we feel very uncomfortable in, in concentrating. Uh, and, and Nir Eyal talks about this in Indistractable also. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the point, we, an analogy which I make in regards to deep work is that everybody can understand the concept 
of uh, like getting out of the comfort zone when it comes to let's say running. So if I if I tell someone, look, you you if you want to run ten kilometers in forty five minutes, everybody understands that okay, that's gonna probably take some 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 very uncomfortable like uh, running sessions, and it's gonna take it's gonna push me to do very, very, a lot of uncomfortable things. Everybody can accept and understand the premise when it's about physical stuff. Like if you want to get stronger, well, it's going to be uncomfortable, but hardly anyone makes the same analogy for, you know, creating better output or developing yourself as a human being. It's exactly the same mechanism. Like if you want to get good at something in, in, in the physical, in, in the mental domain, or it requires the same kind of uncomfortability that the workout does. So if you want to really produce some really good stuff, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to suffer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm a, I, I've got to show you. I have the time block planner here. People can't see because we're on the video call, but like, <laughs> this is the like one of the, the things that like I've been using from Cal Newport. It's like the way to, to structure your day into these blocks, like time block. The block. Nice. And it, it, it really does work. And... I'm a big fan also of this Atomic Habits. I don't know if you read the book uh, from James Clear. I bought it, but I haven't read it. It's in it's in the in the shelf up there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. I, I think Cal Newport also talks about the same thing that it's more about the systems and you know understanding the systems and building habits around those systems and sort of like your work is the side effect. Like good work comes yes. as a side effect of good systems. So. Totally agree. And I, and I, there's something that I understood after burning out, you know, after burning out, I spent one year of basically not doing that much, just having some, some, uh, you know, uh, speaker gigs and, and these kind of things. But, but what I, what I've heard in earlier phases of my life was this thing called, you know, I, I know Jordan Peterson had, has mentioned this sometimes, and it's kind of stuck with me, but he, because he talks about taking on responsibility, which you can, which you can bear. And that's happiness is not the, like the end point that it's a, it's an, it's a useless kind of word to even use. It's about, you know, purpose and stuff. And, and what I was about to say was that I never understood when someone said uh, like discipline equals freedom. Uh, and, and I, and I had really hard time understanding how, creating a disciplined and routine life can achieve freedom, like sense of freedom. And I'd never got it. Like what, what that, that seems like the opposite of freedom. Um, but then when, when you start working with deep work and you start doing very routine based life, you actually notice the sensation of extreme freedom. Um, and it's a weird paradox because I'm like, what? So I just like forced myself to do this for four hours or, you know, three hours and now I feel like really empowered. I feel free because I did all the stuff I supposed to do. Uh, so I, I totally shifted my, my um, I think total freedom is, is a prison. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Hey, uh, I think one of the big questions I wanted to ask you, because like we talked about your experience with burnout. Um, like, do you have things that you, want to say to entrepreneurs so that they could change their habits, their, you know, work more healthy, live more healthy and avoid burnout. Like I have my thoughts, but I'm really curious to, to hear yours. Yeah. Um, I, th I think this also changes with time. Now um, I'm, I'm kind of in a mode because I realized that I have a lot of lectures and seminars and speaker gigs where people ask me to compress, you know, my advice for 
for people. And, and, and then I understood that everybody understands like sleep well, eat well, you know, move and exercise. It's like, well, I don't think there's a single person in this country that does not understand that those are like <laughs> good things. Yeah, so, yeah. so, uh, so what I do now is that after I read this wonderful book by Johan Hari called Lost Connections, it's a, it's a, it's a really fantastic book. It's about depression and, and, and the whole phenomenon around depression. And he talks a lot about the, the importance of social connections and, and, and the reason why, why burnout or maybe even depre- or depression is, is actually a natural reaction to an like a unnatural environment. So uh, like the importance of strong social bonds is, is, is so important for our well-being that we, we can't even understand it. And it, it's becoming more clear with scientific data as well, where they have these blue zones, you know, where people not even eat spe- specifically healthy, but they have these extreme bonds with other human beings. And, and that makes them, you know, increases the longevity and their well-being and the, the oxytocin and all this kind of stuff. So I, I'm nowadays, I'm saying like, look, you can work, you can probably stretch yourself to extremes without burning out if you have a very strong connection with your family or your kids or, or you know, friends and you keep up that and you you get that oxytocin and, you know, that st- strong social bond because that's going to make you immune to a lot of stress because that stress is going to be deloaded uh, in those social. Uh, so, so I talk a lot about this, you know, keeping up the social connections. And another reason why I'm so uh, fascinated by it and why I love it is like we spent some time in the Spanish market. And I just noticed how the families went out to eat and the kids were playing around and they're very, very like family oriented cultures. And uh, then if you check the, the, the longevity in these countries with these, they're fairly, fairly high actually. Uh, and they drink wine on lunch and beer. <laughs> and all this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm emphasizing the social stuff because the individualistic, you know, approach we have in the Nordics, I don't think that's going to be a good thing for mental health. Um, mm. Yeah. I know where you're coming from with that. I think like, the whole social thing for for Finnish people, like we often say that, okay, we're just drinking because we need to socialize, <laughs> like do the drinking. But I think there's there's like so what? Like at least you know you have those relationships then, and you you have something to look forward to when you're when you're having those social events. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Cool. yeah. But now uh, you know. The loneliness is becoming a, a, a horrible problem in, in worldwide. And, uh, mm. and we have a lot of these things that contribute to burnout as well as depression. And, and one thing I want to point out with regards to burnout and depression is that, which is also my key takeaway for this, is that if you encounter physical pain, you have to, you have to listen uh, because physical pain might not be physical ill, like illness. It can be something else. It can be mental pain. And, and that's, just wanted to add that yeah the, the weird thing about burnout well it's not that weird there's there's definitely many reasons for like people just don't really talk about it openly when when you're in that startup you know you like what could be a way for a founder to talk about their burnout experience when they are in the, the startup they're still you know faking it you know till they make it kind of what should they do? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, I think, because um, 
what what you what 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 goes on in your head as a founder you you think like okay uh if i now tell my investors that i'm burned out the first thing you think am i going to get replaced mm. am i going to lose my shares like uh, like and and you you end up in this as i said you end up in this weird moral dilemma uh, where you don't know what is wrong or right um so i don't know if there is uh like a panacea or like a one solution fits all here but maybe um maybe this is more from the vc and the investor side uh to make clear in i don't know how really yet but in somehow that like this is accepted and and mm-hmm. we understand and and because the worst thing is that if if the founder is becoming burnout and he doesn't dare to tell everybody's going to suffer and the, i think the vcs and investors need to understand that you know it's bad for all if you don't accept this uh yeah. so you you cannot punish someone who burns out trying to make you rich you know yeah i i've been thinking about this because i do angel investing um and also a venture partner play venture so i'm thinking like if i would get you know to know at one of the founders that i'm you know an investor in their company and they would you know have to tell me that they're they burn out um like what i would immediately say that hey you have a team most likely you do if we're backing teams mm-hmm. like that team can work forward without you it's like you know one like the, the finish saying that you know the war doesn't require one soldier um, <laughs> or doesn't yes you know like that like that that idea sort of works and you have a capable team who can do stuff and this one person can take the time that they need to figure out how they can come back And yeah, I, I think it's totally fine. Like that, 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 that's sort of like my investor hat on what I think about this. I heard, um, I sometimes mentioned, I think somebody else also talked about it, the VC um, in Finland, even that uh, they would provide an, a third party kind of psychiatrist or some kind of mentor or something that had, you know, confidentiality uh and and uh, sparring with the vc founders uh, or starting with the founders and stuff uh yeah. so that there is kind of a middle ground uh so that the the founder doesn't have to tell the vc straight and the person he's telling cannot tell you know the the vc either something like that to bounce ideas or get mentorship i don't know because there's always going to be a conflict of interest at least on the surface to the investor side um or uh-huh. yeah it's it's hard if somebody cracks it they should get like the startup nobel prize <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally like be- before we go to the final questions i wanted to ask like can you talk about license to fail and what are you now basically doing day to day with with entrepreneurs and people who are interested in these topics well uh nowadays my main what i do mainly is um Uh, I do speaker gigs for you know corporations. I talk about uh, burnout. Obviously, it's very a uh, topic that people want to hear about. And then I talk about actually I have uh, I have a set about deep work and 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 these kind of things which which become which have become fairly popular here. And I talk about the value of you know, like undistracted work and 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 these kind of things. So I talk about about work efficiency as well. Um, I do some occasional helping for startups. Um, in some, for example, NSS in Nordic Startup School, I mentor some startups there. Uh, but um, my mission was basically just to 
tell my my story honestly uh, and and because i noticed that the best way to actually create acceptance and and um and make people feel less lonely is just to tell tell it like it is uh, so instead of telling someone how to do something you t- you show them how you did and you fail and and that kind of i noticed that creates it it made made me feel less lonely when I read other stories that had done done this. So just just telling just telling a story that's what I want to do. And and in the future and right now, I mean, I'm, I'm having my options open. I would like maybe to to help startups in some way more officially. Now I'm just doing it because I think it's fun. <laughs> um, so um, no, I I have a fairly um, um, what do you say? uh relaxed life at the moment <laughs> um, yeah, i couldn't couldn't agree on that either. like <laughs> I, I feel like you know after i started elite game developers this is sort of like a place to reflect on life and you never know what's gonna come around the corner and what is the big thing that you want to do but we're still young yeah yeah no hurry anywhere and that yeah that's what i tell yeah. also like i'm i'm 41 and and i feel like a junior in, in, in if you look at the business world uh, because I if you look at the people who who are you know running things they're usually around you know I don't know 50 uh, 45 55 so I'm thinking like look I could do I could still do four or five years of just you know trying to figure things out uh, and I'd still be only 45 which is no problem in the business world at all probably even better i would say in terms of efficiency and understanding big pictures and and these kind of things so i'm trying to tell young students that you know even if you graduate at 25 and you do like let's say five years at you know the big four or whatever you wherever you end up you're gonna be 30 you're gonna be a junior like Mm. chillax you're gonna have 35 years of work life ahead of you so don't 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 stress over months or years like think long term yeah yeah and you can figure out sort of like what what is sort of like these expectations? I think going back to that is it's again something like uh, I'm I'm still figuring out my expectations. So uh. yeah, and I tell them that it's it's a lot easier to know what you don't want than what you want. Like uh, Nassim Taleb talks about this reduction and 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 you know finding out information by de- like subtracting stuff from it instead there's a lot more value in negative information than positive information so i'm telling them look if you don't if you know what you want to like if you want to find out what you want to do you need to find out as much things that you don't want to do and you'll eventually get closer yeah that's awesome point hey let's go to the final questions like we talked a lot about different books but can you name one that is very impactful and you'd like the founder, uh, founders and entrepreneurs who are listening to check it out? I read a lot of books, so it's incredibly hard for me to pin to uh, one specific. But if you can, I, 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 if I can give uh, like a couple of ones, if that yeah. would be okay. Sure. Um, uh, in terms of fiction, uh, fiction books. Uh, I would like to recommend uh, a fiction book by uh, a person called Carl Uwe Knausgård. He wrote this huge epos called My Struggle. It's six books, but you can read which one of them probably start with the first. It's about being human. Uh, and it, it's a beautifully written book, which, make, which, which will probably make you feel less alone. Uh, because he's, very, he's probably a Nobel Prize winner in the future. He's very honest. He's so honest that when you read it, you become like, whoa, how can a person like 
say these things, like be so honest about his own vulnerability. So when I read it, I was like, damn, I'm definitely not alone with these kind of thoughts in my head, you know? So, so, so I recommend that book. Um, And then I think we touched on one of the books already. I think if you want to really step up your game in terms of, you know, productivity, I deep work is the book. Uh, That's the book. Um, It is. It's fine. It's just miraculously good uh and and yeah um and then yeah Yeah, he just mentioned cal Cal newport has two other books which basically it's a trilogy that he just completed deep work digital minimalism and then the world without email which just came out this spring (laughs) oh i need to get that i need to get that it Uh. was it was the best so far i think oh damn you know like we were talking about it already, you know, you're, you're sort of like when you're, you know, trying to get into understanding life's sort of mysteries, like every year you're sort of like un- uncovering more things. And I think Cal Newport is uncovering more and more things constantly. Yeah, so I totally agree. Oh, he's wonderful. And then, you know, my, um, I, I, I mean, I could list, I don't know, hundred different books, but uh, I'm going to try to think about who's listening here. So, um, you know, if, 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 uh, if you want a book that's going to change the way you look at the world in terms of how things operate and stuff, I could not recommend, you know, it's an old book. It's 10 years old. It's anti-fragile by Nassim Taleb. It's just amazing. Um, yeah. the concept of anti-fragility is just so powerful and, uh, yeah. Anti-fragile Nassim Taleb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All really good books. Yeah. Hey, do, do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? Yeah, actually, I was lucky with my first boss uh, in Finland, uh, a woman called Maria Liso. Um, so when I came, came out into the investment, you know, I was working investment fund. She was my first boss. And I was still, you know, I've been working for a year. I was still young. I was scared of making mistakes. And I, I kind of got almost, you know, paralyzed when I had to make decisions. Um, so she saw this and, and, and she said, you know, Tommy, you know, the worst thing in business you can do is indecision or not to making decisions. I was like, really? And it's like, yes, you have to make a decision. And once you make a decision, it can be wrong or it can be right. If it's wrong, then you can correct it. If it's right, well, good, but you have to make decisions. And, and if you make a, a mistake, I promise you, I will back you up. Uh, and then we will move on. I will not judge you. And I was like, really? Uh, and then, you know, I, I have some courage to, to make some decisions. And sometimes those decisions weren't, weren't right. They weren't correct. Uh, and she backed me up. So she stood by her word and she took the heat. And then we continued. And that is probably the best advice you can give to young people. And, and, and you know, I have to stand by your words as well. But, you know, do not get paralyzed. You know, you have to understand that if you're going to get to a target, you are going to make mistakes. You like, you cannot get away from that reality. Uh, and, and if you make somebody, some boss uh, in a conference said that if you can make as a CEO, like 60 or 70% of your decisions somewhat correctly, you're a great CEO, you know, <laughs> so that's an awesome one. Yeah, decision making is so critical. Yeah. Hey, last question. What's the best way for entrepreneurs to get in contact with you if, if they want to, you know, talk about stuff, burnout, hard things, hard life? 
<laughs> uh, what's the book like the hard thing about hard things or uh, there's some book something like that yeah like, yeah know. from ben horowitz yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so so uh put me add me on linkedin and uh, we, i think we'll take it from there so tomic Alginen, and just ping me ping me there and I'm, I'm glad to glad to have a chat and um you know so linkedin is the best way. Cool. hey tommy this was really cool and uh I think we could have talked more and more. Yes. <laughs> like we need to end somewhere. <laughs> I know. So, there's so much work to be done. So, hey, I uh, hope you have a good day and uh, speak soon again, man. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please do go and check out our weekly newsletter at EliteGameDevelopers.com newsletter. It's going to go out on Friday mornings where I share all the interest areas for myself in gaming startups. So check it out and I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.